Good morning. I'm Darrell Gunter, your host for Leadership on WSOU 89.5 and streaming on the net. And also note that we are on iTunes University under Seton Hall University and look for the program Leadership and you'll see our catalog of previous interviews. We are so pleased to have back in our studio my two good friends, John Hoffman and Karen Brustein of Design Performance. Last week we had a very spirited discussion about their new exciting seminar called Women Negotiate. John and Karen, welcome back to the program. Thank you for having us back. Great to be back on this beautiful Seton Hall campus. Thank you. I'd say it is a beautiful fall day. You know, John, let's jump right in in regards to, we talked about the, 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 the different skill sets and aptitudes of, of women. When, when women are engaged, what, what is the model um, that you develop that will allow them to really leverage their, their talents? Well, Darrell, let's just talk about those talents for a second because they're really extraordinary. And if you take a look at the research, it's so misleading because you could get the impression that women weren't as capable as men in a negotiation when the opposite is quite true. There's a terrific book called The Female Brain, Dr. Benzedrine. She is a brain surgeon. And she talks specifically about the difference between men's and women's brains. Mm. Now, just to give you an idea of how this is really fairly modern, it wasn't until 1960 that they really realized that even though men's brains are bigger than women's, and so there was this kind of a concept that because bigger meant better or brighter, they felt that women did not have the intellectual capacity that men have. But with the technology developing, they now know that women have as many neurons or as men do, for one, but what's extraordinary in the book are those specific areas in the women's brain that differ from men's. Now, a, a less than 1% difference in the brain is significant, but we find in women's brain that the centers for language and listening are 10% larger than men's. They're wired for success in this. So this whole notion of verbal aptitude, the ability to listen, it's, it's there. And so the question is, how do we develop that skill? Empathetic skills. As a guy, I might take a position, okay, Darrell, we're negotiating, and I'm thinking, oh, let me put myself in Darrell's shoes, and I think I'm being real sharp to do that. Women's empathetic skills are so extraordinary that when they focus and empathize with another person, their body chemistry actually changes to match the body chemistry of the person that they're empathizing with. So I say, oh, I'm so smart, I put myself in Darrell's shoes. Karen becomes Darrell. <laughs> what, what, what is her increased perspective on what's going on with Darrell? And if you take a look at areas such as creativity, problem solving, cooperation, decision analysis, women's aptitudes are significantly stronger than men in those areas. Absolutely, John. And one of the things that I always think about especially when we're talking about empathy or being in the other person's shoes, I really do have to be careful about going too far. Mm -hmm. And uh, many of my women colleagues and good friends of mine have the same issue. And so we're constantly having to remind ourselves that we're not that person. Mm -hmm. We also tend to, uh, to look at the other person and want to make them feel better. Now that's a lovely idea, but sometimes it gets 
or many times it gets in the way of actually getting down to business and getting down to what needs to be done. So while there are so many, many skills that we have and possess, we also have to acknowledge that we can go overboard into a negative area. Mm-hmm. And John, when one is empathizing with um, another person, how does that help them in the negotiation? Well, Darrell, we see that the, from research, and again, there's so much extensive research on what behaviors correlate with success in negotiation. And not success from a I win, you lose, but really collaboration, mutual gain. Those are really the hallmarks of a successful negotiator. And something as simple as prior to the negotiation, rather than just focusing on what you would like to accomplish, to try to take a step back and say, what is this other person trying to accomplish? What's important to them? And the empathetic part would come in during the actual engagement with the other person, the way that I'm listening to them, the way that I'm testing to understand, to make sure I understand the position that they're coming from, that starts to give me power, but puts us both in a much more collaborative position, heading towards a better outcome. Karen, on on (laughs) having empathy for someone, uh, anything you'd like to add to that? Well, I think that John has spelled that out pretty clearly. But again, to me, the deer in the headlights is the idea that you don't go too far over and weaken your own position. Mm -hmm. And not to be in a fight, but again, to recognize um, the what the other party has, their, what their stake is in the negotiation, and to effectively put out there some solution that works for, for both of you. And in terms of negotiation, again, I want to emphasize that this isn't necessarily a negotiation for selling something. It's a negotiation that involves how to be most effective when working within your organization, and how to then achieve the power and the recognition. And, you know, John, when you mentioned that uh, the woman's brain, you said it's 10% larger, and they have this natural tendency to be able to place themselves in someone else's position, Mm -hmm. this is like having a, a tool in their toolkit that they're not aware that they have it, and therefore, if they're not aware that, that they have it, they can't use it. It's almost like, you know, you, you need a hammer to, to, to nail something in, but, you, but you're using a, a screwdriver, which isn't the right tool. But once you find that you have the right tool, then you can understand it, un- be conscious about it, and then develop that tool. Darrell, that's really what the training is all about. It's making people aware of what the tools are in their arsenal, in their repertoire, and understanding the right application of that tool to the appropriate situation and that's really what we're trying to do here so let's talk about this model I, I love I love the model uh, p2n2 it almost sounds like one of those exercise commercials <laughs> you know uh, but let's, let's talk about the structure of the program p2n2 and how does it help uh, the women to not only recognize their their talents but but to leverage them Darrell it is in a sense exercising is what it comes down to And one of the things that we've found uh, in our research and years of working again with people, very, very talented people all around the world, is that structure is something that will often set you free. That people think that they should know certain things. And when they come to the realization that, you know what, 
maybe there's some things that I can learn in this area. So the challenge in the training room is in a very gentle way to create some need awareness around structure, in this case for the negotiations. And the P2N2 is an outgrowth of that research and our experience so that people have a framework so that they can be themselves and they can unleash those natural empathetic talents without worrying about straying too far in a direction that will be to the detriment of you or to the person that you're negotiating with. So a very simpler formula for it, Darrell, if you'd like me to take Please. it through the piece absolutely, you absolutely. So I am the least technical person in this studio right now. <laughs> so believe me, I don't want to scare anybody with a formula. But the P2 refers to their two Ps. So the first P is that you come in with a plan. And there are certain areas, and let's stick to the notion of empathy. So if I'm coming into a situation and I tend to become too empathetic, in my planning, if I start to identify that possibility, I can start to think of ways that I can strategize to minimize the empathy that might take me in the direction of stopping becoming an advocate, of losing my assertiveness, because when you're in the situation, it's often less difficult. So if we have some structure around our preparing for the negotiation, and whether I have five minutes or I have a greater amount of time to prepare, I'm going to make sure that I'm going to be in a better position to really to use my talents and my perspective when I'm in the actual conversation. The second P is, you know, people often jump right into the giving away, which what they, most people really think negotiation is. In a selling situation, the salesperson comes back and says, oh, I got the deal. I said, well, well, tell me about that. And they'll talk about how they lowered the price or gave them an extension on terms. Uh, if it's a situation where it might be an internal decision around a change that's being made, uh, we often find that people start to give things away very quickly when they hit resistance. So we're trying to make sure that people are clear on that we want to persuade. Ne negotiation is a very important skill but before we even get into the negotiating part, I want to be able to show them, point them out. So persuasion really is about educating people. If I can educate and elevate a person's understanding, that can be extremely persuasive. However, we know that negotiation is really about give and take. So there might be some resistance that I need to move from my position, but I haven't just done this right at the beginning the first time that I met resistance. So the N2, there are two Ns, and the first N is this is where I might bring in negotiating. And we teach people in our sessions how to negotiate in a way that protects your concerns and protects the concerns of the other party. And so we teach them how to introduce a trade-off, which is really what is involved in a negotiation. And so very strategic around how to execute during that part of the N in negotiation. The last N is where, where negotiations often fall apart is after we've reached agreement with the other side. If you can think about it, in some meeting that you were in, you thought you had persuaded the other person, you thought in a selling situation that you had a deal, only to find out in your next conversation with that person that they saw things very differently. So the N ensures that whatever agreements were reached are clarified, summarized, and put into an action plan with specific times and dates. And this will greatly increase the probability that the actual agreement will come to fruition. So having this simple P2N2 structure can really set people free. Because if I'm clear in terms of what my strategy is, it's easier for me to be myself, as a guy to listen more, to be a little bit more empathetic. 
uh, in a woman's situation, perhaps to be a little bit more assertive and to be comfortable understanding how the assertiveness fits into a process that's very relationship-oriented and collaborative. And Karen, uh, from your perspective, how have you found this helpful in your dealings with people in the business setting? I found it to be most, most helpful. And part of that really is because following P2N2, I have made a plan. I've put together my outline. And I've tried to anticipate, <coughs> tried to anticipate at the same time the needs of the person that I'm sitting with and hopefully get them to realize something and for myself to also realize what they want out of it. Because too often I found at the beginning of my career in consulting that I was just, now I just had a narrow focus. I wanted to get what I wanted out of it. Not realizing that I could very effectively have them talk and talk about what they needed. And that's really critical in the whole process is hearing what the other person has to say and being smart enough to listen, to perhaps pose the right questions, but, it, but gain all of the information that I can so that when we're negotiating, it's a negotiation that is a very positive one for both of us. So when we talk about P2N2 for our audience, uh, plan, persuade, negotiate, and notate. Absolutely. Okay, Perfect. absolutely wonderful. And so in the classroom, what is the classroom experience? If, if John, is it a, is it a one-day program, half-day program, multi-day program? Um, what can one expect in regards to their classroom experience? Darrell, we've designed the program to be very flexible in terms of the way that it's delivered to a company. Uh, we recognize often that taking people out of the workplace for a full day, that can be problematic. And so we've designed it so that it can be trained in a day. However, we find that some companies are interested in spending more time, clearly in terms of planning or the negotiating skills, uh, to dedicate more time to practicing. At the same time, we can break it up and it can be modular in design. We could talk about, we could have a session on the importance of negotiation and an appreciation for gender differences. Uh, we could spend a, a module on planning, persuading, negotiating, notating, dealing with ploys and tactics. There's quite a bit to deal with, but the program can be trained in a day, but there's flexibility to add to shorter time frames or longer time uh, periods in the training sessions. John, as your, your company is named Design Performance, uh, I take it that uh, when someone comes to you uh, with a particular need, um, what can they expect from Design Performance in regards to meeting the needs of the, the very specific demographics or people, styles that they might have within their group? Darrell, one of the things that we are very focused on is delivering a program that will transfer easily back into the company's work setting. So that we do, the design performance means that the program is custom designed to your organization. So we will spend time prior to the program conducting interviews so that we can tailor the program to specifically meet the needs of the people in your organization that will be participating in the program. We also, as John has just said, we, we speak to 
any people that are nominated to talk with us, again, so that we have a very, very clear understanding of the needs of that, org of that group, but also how it fits into the organization as a whole. And so, once we've conducted those interviews, we will then present the information and our findings and our recommendations to the company. So before anything gets delivered, there's no question that this will be on target and be meeting the needs of the organization. And what do you do? Uh, do you utilize any assessment tools um, to allow you to dive deep into the uh, personalities of the folks that uh, will be going through the program? We do that several ways, Darrell. The program is extremely interactive, and what we do is we focus on the best practices that were unearthed in the talent books. They focus on best practices that we will deliver, having people practice, and we don't call them role plays, we like to call them skill practices because they are specifically using the skills in the exact context of their work worlds. And then the third piece is getting feedback about that. So there's a way that it happens that people have an opportunity to practice in a very safe, comfortable environment, go out and practice and try using the skills. And on our website, which is under construction, uh, people will be able to report back to us on success, uh, issues that they're having. So it's really ongoing. And we're also trying to empower the organizations that we work with to be able to have these ongoing skill practices. Uh, one of the things that we're seeing is that many companies have women's networks and many of them are adopting women negotiate as a regular part of their meetings at their women's sessions. So they're working on specific challenges, but we're teaching them how to conduct that exercise. So it really becomes almost like a diagnostic Durrell that people get a chance to practice and get a feel for what their strengths are, uh, what they could be better at, getting real-time specific feedback, trying it out, and then bringing it back in again, which is really, again, the trilogy of success and improvement. You know, it, it, it sounds like you're allowing each individual to develop their own performance dashboard. That's precisely it and giving them context for that. So it's very difficult for people to carve that out. So we have the blueprint for that in, the, in our skill practicing. And again, it empowers them to be able to figure out, diagnose, introduce a skill, and improve performance. Exactly, it's really <clears throat> content in context. And we've also found that the more interactive we allow our sessions to be, or even our online question, questions and answers, the more effective the program is. And we don't, we don't go in there. there. There are a number of places where I've seen people go into something and feel uncomfortable or not willing to participate. That's not what we do. We try to put all of our programs in interact, interactive um, presentations into into a context which is fun where people at the same time as they're working hard and looking at things but they can really sometimes even laugh at themselves that's the best way to learn but we also want people to recognize that it's not something to fear so one of our major major goals and one of the things that's made John's work even from all of his other programs so, so very, very effective is the fact that everybody gets up there, plays a role, and everyone learns from each other. And, and the key thing there uh, I like to stress to our audience is that you're emphasizing that 
in order to master these skills, you have to practice them. And you One of the great myths in our society is that change is easy. Behavioral change, be it a diet, be it an exercise program, learning a language uh, will happen basically instantaneously with little pain and work, and you'll see results quickly. And we know the reality is very different than that. However, we also know that it can be done, as Karen said, in an environment that's entertaining, that's interesting. And one of the most exciting aspects of our programs is when people start to see that even small changes can start to bring about some significant results, that becomes very motivating. And, and John, one of the concerns that you and I have had over a number of years with, with companies is their lack of understanding of training. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they, they seem to think, again, they fall into the flaw that it's interesting to me, I believe the, the program right now, one of the most prominent language learning programs out there, um, I believe it's Rosetta Stone, uh, I yes. listened to mm -hmm. their commercial coming in today, and it's not that you learn a language in a year or six months, it, you learn it instantly and with no memorization, which was a very interesting concept. So very appealing, but the reality is that learning is different than that. It does take time, there's a process, and it's an exciting, fun, and motivating process. And I think once people have an understanding of that, and again, that's our goal in the classrooms, that's when you start to see change in results. One, one, one thing about training I'd like to add in is that in any sport, or any exercise when you're learning something new, everyone's aha moment comes at a different point. Mm. And the key thing is to stress the folks that to keep working at it. Absolutely. And their aha moment will happen. Absolutely. Everybody has that at a different time. Without, without question. But I think, again, the key there is that people get a success. They get some success early on. I think it's very difficult for people to just be working hard and not seeing results. We all need some motivation. And what's exciting about these programs, there's so much to learn. It's such a learning-rich environment that you can pick something up, you have an appreciation for how it works, you know how to apply it. That, to me, is really, that's, that's what the, the learning curve is all about. That's how we accelerate the learning. Ladies and gentlemen, if you've just joined us, um, note that both of part one and part two of these interviews with uh, Mr. John Hoffman and Ms. Karen Brustein of Design Performance will be up on iTunes U under Seton Hall University with leadership. And we're talking about their Women Negotiate uh, program, uh, which I think is probably one of the best negotiating programs out there and, and, it's, and it's geared to women. But as my colleagues have said here, uh, it's for men as well. Unquestionably, that you know, the byline in all of this is it's not just for women. That men and, and women, the more structure they have, the clearer they are in terms of an appropriate process to follow that's going to lead to mutual gain. That's really the key here. Men and women will, will be better negotiators. How many uh, women have gone through the program thus far, and what has been the response? Well, the response has been very, very gratifying, Durrell, and it's amazing to me, and maybe this is part of the, the empathetic listening part of women but they very quickly relate and share with us that they can relate to our, the, the situation and the challenges that women face in negotiation. Now, I would say to date, in terms of some of the keynote addresses that we've given uh, to women's groups and some large corporations in the U.S., uh, probably about 450 women have been exposed to women negotiate at this point. And as I mentioned, the general response is 
we would really like to have more of this. And so we've been very, very happy with the results so far. It, it's absolutely been a delight. And one of the real positive takeaways too is, as we've mentioned, this is not just for women. And we've been very delighted to see that in the organizations we've gone to, there have been many, many men participating as well and really enjoying it, getting a lot out of it, A, because it reinforces or even in some cases introduces them to negotiation skills, which they've never had before, but at the same time, it enables them to be more effective in their dealings with women in their organizations or with women who are prospective clients of theirs. So um, I'm sure there's quite a few folks wondering, this is a great program. How do I contact you? Darrell, we can be contacted at our website. It's under construction. It will be up and running in two weeks. But all of our contact information is at our website, WNYES.com. So it's short for Woman Negotiate Yes. On that, you'll find Karen's phone number and email address and my phone number and email address as well. We would love to hear from you, uh, hear your reaction to the program, and in any way that we could work with you, we'd be absolutely delighted. Thank you, Dwell, for having us on today. I, 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 I can't wait to attend one of the seminars to witness it myself, and I know it's going to be wonderful. But, but before we go, um, let's talk about your thoughts and how one prepares himself to be a leader, because I think that the importance of this program is teaching women how to be leaders, how to understand leaders, and how to be leaders. So how does one prepare uh, him or herself to, to be a great leader? Well, Darrell, I think one thing is to be a good observer of good leaders. And you know, behavior modeling is a very powerful learning modality. And the traits that you see in a leader, and it could be somebody that was your first baseball coach. It could have been a teacher that you had in school. could have been a boss. What traits were particularly motivating in that person? And that is a good way to start. So you know that it worked. You know how it felt. So the person was a good listener or the way that they asked for your response to things or the way that they were able to direct you to information that was important. Uh, that would be a starting point. And the second piece I would say is to keep yourself knowledgeable. There's so many articles. You can go on the Internet. There's, there are books. And I would just highly recommend that you make sure that you're reading as well as observing. I think those are two key traits. The, the other point that I'd like to add to that is you have to find your own style. No one should go out there. Now that you've had the skill set, don't try to change yourself in regard to how you um, how you deal with things or how you communicate that to others. Take these skills, take what you've admired in others, and try to put that into your own personality, your own way of dealing with people. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you should know that uh, Karen and John don't know it, but they really have been my mentors over the last 20 years, and they have always mentioned really great books for me to read. For our readers, John, if you had to select one book that you highly recommend they read, uh, what would you recommend? And then Karen, of course. Darrell, I would recommend, I love the book Leading with the Heart by Coach K, Mike Krzyzewski from Duke University. 
and because there's such a human component co component to leadership in that book, and he's very, very specific in outlining the ways that he's worked with his teams over the years to great success, not only from a strategical, tactical perspective in terms of best practices in basketball, but best practices in human communication. And he really emphasizes listening and encouraging the players to speak. It's, it's, it really is a fantastic book. And it dovetails very nicely with an article that was in the Harvard Business Review over the summer. Their whole article, their whole issue was about influence. And they talked about warmth as being the conduit of influence. So there's no doubt that someone like a Coach K is an extremely gifted, talented person that understands every little nuance of basketball. But the warmth and the human connection that's outlined in Leading with the Heart, I believe, is a terrific approach. The only thing I would add is that sometimes you have to go out of that specific area and look at either people that you felt were good leaders and also read up on historical um, people who have made a change in the world because you can get so much from understanding how people did it themselves and the drive that they had. So I would say definitely you need your textbooks, you need your guidebooks, but you also need to expand and look at what made leaders in every field. Well, Karen and John, I am so sorry that we are out of time, but I got to have you back on the program as you experience more about uh, this Women Negotiate seminar. We'd be delighted to give you updates, Drell. Thank you so much for having us out here. This has really been a fun day. Thank you. This is Darrell Gunter, your host of Leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM and streaming on the net at WSOU.net. Remember, leadership begins with you. Have a great weekend.